morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? Kind of muggy, kind of muggy. I just walked in. It's a little over two and a half miles each way, and as long as I can, I'm going to. I'm Horticulture's fellow rushing the walk-in Horticulture's. This is the Gestalt Garden. It's a uh, presentation of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And uh, like I say, the host, Horticulture's fellow rushing, our producers, the awesome Java Chapman. We're going to have fun for the next hour or two talking about gardening in the deep south and the Gulf Coast South. Coming up in today's program, I'm going to give you a heads up on some things you can be doing in your garden. Share a few emails and some cheesy and poignant music. But most important, because we are live here at MPB, I'm going to be talking with you in real time about what's going on or not in your own garden. It's a live program, folks. So sit back, join me in Java as we take in a few minutes of news before starting this informal party we call the Gestalt Garden. Let's get dirty. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. Sir Java, how's it going this muggy morning, man? Man, it's going all right. It's going better than it was yesterday. Yesterday was, I guess, my version of the no good, terrible uh, uh, day. <laughs> was it, it wasn't weather-wise, I take it. No, it wasn't weather-wise. It's just, you know, one thing starts off in the morning, and then it just keeps on going all the way until what time I went to sleep last night? Uh, about 2.30. Yeah, well, the <laughs> only thing I can say is wait till you're 65 like I am. And because you get up saying, oh, is it going to be a good day or not? And, <laughs> and usually it is. Anyway, I've I've been doing some stuff out in the yard this past week. It's been muggy and humid and uh, getting some stuff done. I finished my glass shard fence topping. It's uh, I put a bunch of art glass. Went down to Andrew Young. He's got this thing called. Uh, well, you know, I you you had helped me, you know, with last week. So you did finish the rest of the fence. I did. I did. I got it all the way done. I I'd gone to uh, Andrew Young. Has this, he's a neighbor of mine. Has this place called the Pearl River Glass Studio. It does fancy garden glass and stained glass windows and all that stuff. Real real art. Real artists, and they got a big bucket of broken glass and i got all that and it's just pretty as it can be across the top of my fence looks kind of mean but it's in a part of the fence where i'm not really worried about it too much i mean uh, it's just a, a shout out to anybody out there who might be thinking about climbing over my fence the gate is open okay don't hurt yourself and that goes to squirrels and, <laughs> and, and four-legged free <laughs> actually you know i made this so that there's a little squirrel run back behind it so they can run across the top without cutting themselves oh, now that is what i was thinking about that's a good uh, yep. you are right well, I did, I did do it on purpose. I realized after the fact, hey, this is good. Cause I'm thinking these squirrels are going to run across this stuff. That's just not pretty. But um, anyway, I love how it glints and it glistens. It sparkles in the rain and the sun. Also planted some gourds. Got some gourd seeds. Got them planted for fall. And this is sort of the time, the end of the time. Uh, first part, middle of uh, July. You can still plant pumpkins and gourds and get a harvest uh, this fall. If a frost kills a vine, that's okay. But you can still plant things like pumpkins and gourds for this fall, uh, getting near the end of them. Still plenty of time to plant tomatoes and basil and summer flowers and stuff like that. Uh, this past week, um, I visited a place over in Alabama. It's called a little town called Jemison, uh, between Birmingham and Montgomery. It's called Petals from the Past. Now, you know, I spent a lot of time working with garden centers, progressive garden centers, pretty much all over the country, and it's certainly the South. North Carolina, Texas, Florida, they have places that 
that really cater to local garden condition. These folks are running petals from the past. I've known them for quite some years. I studied at Texas A&M. Uh, they grow uh, perennials and shrubs and roses and, and uh, things like that, but they only grow what will grow in their part of the country. You know, you go to some of the boxers. I've got a friend who just bought a great big blue spruce, Colorado blue spruce, put it in a big pot on a patio. It ain't going to survive because this ain't Colorado. But the fact that it was pretty, she bought it. Anyway, uh, folks like uh, Petals from the Past is a place north of uh, Houston uh, and one in Austin, some in North Carolina. But anyway, what they do is they have gardens all around their, their garden center, their nursery, and they grow everything that they sell. So you can see what is this going to look like in my yard. And uh, if it doesn't grow well for them, they don't grow it themselves. They don't sell it. Uh, anyway, I snagged some interesting varieties, those big, hearty mums I talked about last week with Jinx Farmers from uh, South Carolina. Uh, a lot of people know the one called Country Girls or Clara Curtis, big pink thing. It's not your cushion mum. It's not your regular little chrysanthemum. They're big flower things. Uh, the Latin name is chrysanthemum morifolium. They're, they're, they've got bigger flowers. They're flat. Sometimes they're double. But uh, the most common one is a, kind of a pale lavender pinkish one called Country Girls or Clara Curtis. Anyway, I've got burgundy ones and white ones and pink ones and red ones and double ones and single ones. And I brought a whole bunch of them back, and I'm going to take them out to a wholesale uh, nursery here in central Mississippi, get them to start propagating from those. They're, they're not patented. They're just good old-fashioned solid plants. Um, by the way, let me get a, a shout-out to two folks. Java, last week, you know, I'm a pub kind of guy. Some people may or may not appreciate that. doesn't matter to me. But I go to a, to a local pub. Now, it ain't a bar, it's a pub where you walk in and people say, Felder, what's going on? Finians. Uh, no, but it, but I, I do go there. This this little place called Scrooge's. Anyway, oh, okay. uh, it, it's, it's, it's where old regulars hang out. You know, this is one of those kind of places. Sort of like Cheers. You know, you got a bunch of regulars. Anyway, I was sitting there, and uh, a couple of uh, folks came up. This this one lady, um, blonde-headed gal, pretty nice dress. You know, I'm not trying to be misogynistic, but an attractive woman came up, and she was paying her bill, and she looked over, and she said, by the way, I enjoy your program. I'm thinking, people like that listen to this program, and then the old grizzled guy sitting next to him, he said, yeah, man, that story about the guy and his dog and, you know, buried under a magnolia tree, it just broke me up. And she said, I boohooed in the parking lot. So I'm going to give a shout-out to the grizzled old guy and the beautiful blonde who listened to this program last week and appreciated Jink's story about his old dog, Sugar Babe. Now, that's a testament to you and being who you are on the radio. I don't know. I Normally, just... people on radio walk around in anonymity, <laughs> <laughs> but they know your face. <laughs> and I have a face made for radio. That's right. <laughs> anyway, on, on another note, we're going to play a tune in just a little while, but uh, a guy named Steve Whitmire, uh, just, just, he, he's, he, he's left the, the company, but a longtime voice of Kermit the Frog. He's stepping down from his role after 27 years. Uh, took over Kermit uh, when his mentor, Jim Henson, who's the man who invented the Muppets, died. By the way, Jim Henson was from Leland, Mississippi, a little town up in the Mississippi Delta, just about 15 miles from where I was born and raised. Um, and when I give lectures outside the South, um, I include a few photos from back home to sort of help interpret my homeland and get people um, you know, adjusted to why I talk the way I do. And I usually include a, a picture I took of Kermit the Frog's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Little, uh, a, a little bullfrog from Leland, Mississippi has got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
Dreams come true. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Ribbit. <laughs> anyway, we've got uh, some emails I want to share. i got a few other things to talk about. Uh, I have an event coming up, but let me remind folks, this is a live program. If you want to give us a call, we're sitting here wanting to chat with you about your garden or garden questions or your lawn or your vegetables or shrubs or trees or potted plants or insects or diseases or weeds or blights, anything that's related to trying to to, to grow something for fun or pleasure at home. If you want to give us a call, it is toll-free, one eight seven seven mpb ring MPB is for Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Ring is what uh, brings uh, Michelle into play over there. Anyway, if you want to give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring we're going to be talking about gardening live here. Felder, I think you might need to say that you... Um you got like some extra cheesy music that always <laughs> that always works. I do, <laughs> I do have some, you know. I I can come up with some cheesy music. Come up with some tunes. I really, honestly, and I, I mean, I fancy myself as a as a DJ, a music, a music guy, and uh, you could you you have a, a a deep sense of a corner of the music store that I seldom don't frequent. Well, you know, it's, uh, and, 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 you know, and I walk around Lent and dog hair stuck to my shirt, too, and you're always nice and neat and tidy, you know, so <laughs> it's just everywhere. And plus, a lot of people call in with suggestions, and if it's related to gardening or the season or some kind of event that's, you know, timely and it's clean, I get some real good suggestions that I personally like, but not suitable for for listening audiences. Yeah, we got kind of, I uh, think it was during Drive with that, with that Frank Zappa, got kind of on, 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 on the borderline a little bit. Yeah, yeah but he was uh, call any vegetable. Well, you know, you know yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, there, there's an event coming up uh, pretty soon. Some folks might be interested. If you're down on the coast and you've got kids interested in learning some really fun stuff, um, uh, my friend who's uh, uh, Jim Del Prince, Jim Del Prince is uh, Dr. Jim Del Prince, uh, he's an extension prof- uh, a, a, a professor, a horticulture specialist. He's at the MSU Coastal Research and Extension Center. That's done on Pops Ferry Road in Biloxi. I've been there a lot of times. Swung by there last month. Anyway, uh, he's an award-winning, nationally known floral designer, also. But um, he's going to be teaching a thing called Kids Camp in Floral Design. Kids Camp in Floral Design. If you know, if you got children who are 8 to 12 years old. They don't want little kids. They don't want, you know, rowdy teenagers. 8 to 12 years old. They want to learn about flowers. Uh, they're going to walk around the, the campus uh, collecting different kinds of, of, of what they call plant materials. They're going to learn to create different kind of colorful floral designs. This is the chance for a kid to get exposed to something really fun, really useful. Uh, that It's a quality of life. Thing. Anyway, it's going to be Thursday, July the 20th. It's going to be on July the 20th, Thursday, from 9 until noon. It's going to be at the MSU Coastal Research Center there on Pops Ferry Road in Biloxi. That's $40 per person, but trust me, uh, Jim Del Prince, he is a real prince when it comes to this kind of stuff. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. If you're interested in details, you can contact, uh, um, just shoot me an email. I'll put you in touch with him. But anyway, just thought I'd, I'd help share that because I studied floral design back at Mississippi State University under a fellow who was uh, extremely well-known, Ralph Knoll, and he told me a lot of stuff about how to pretty up my little cabin and my yard, too. Hey, let's go up to Oxford to see what's going on. Hey, Stephanie, thanks for calling in. Uh, hello, Felder. How are you? Today? I'm fine. What's up? I have an infestation of pill bugs. Yep, we Those call them, ro- we call them ro- are- roly-polies. 
roly polies, absolutely. They used to be the most benign little things until they will eat everything. Yep. I, other than putting like seven and all that on my yard, how do I get rid of those things? Well, you're not going to be able to get rid of them because they're like mosquitoes. They'll keep coming back. You know, they're yeah. they're they're part of the natural environment. And if they're really bothering a specific plant, you know, you could either treat that area, um, any kind of even though they're not insects, they're little crustaceans. They're like little little armored lobsters walking around, I guess. Anyway, uh, they're real sensitive to insecticides. Problem is, though, those same insecticides kill worms and stuff like that. So what I would do, typically we have them where you have a lot of a lot of mulch and moisture. With all this rain, we're going to have a lot more things like that. So what I would suggest is the plants that are most valuable, pull the mulch back a little bit, try not to keep it quite so damp around them, and that'll help a little bit. But uh, as far as, you know, how to control them, you'd have to use... To any kind of insecticide will kill crickets or, you know, ants or something like that. That'll take out roly-polies, too. Because I tell you, it looks like somebody some days will go out and just throw a handful in my yard. I know, I know. But, you know, everything. The, you know, the, just the growing is good. They feel great. It's a great time to, to live in Mississippi. It's, it's, it's warm, it's moist, and there's plenty of hiding places and lots of food, apparently, in your garden. Yes. yes. <laughs> but anyway, if you could just knock them back a little bit and around your most valuable plants, um, you know, just try to pull the mulch back and not keep it quite so wet. Well, that'll work. Do they have, let me ask you one question very quick. Do they have a growth cycle? Like, how long does it take for them to produce? Because I can pull away the big ones, and then I've, I'll yeah. find a bunch of these. You know, they're, you know, they're, you know, they, they multiple, you know, they're, they're, they're crustaceans, but they, they have eggs, just like, you know, spiders and, you know, stuff like that. I don't know if they're crustaceans or arachnids. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, anyway... I'll, I'll have to do. A, matter of fact, uh, I'm a, while we're on a break, I'm gonna look that up because I forget exactly what they are. But anyway, they 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 lay eggs and they go through what they call gradual metamorphosis. Little ones get bigger and bigger and bigger, like turtles. Okay. Well, I'll just good luck. I'm mulching. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if if, if they're if they're really bothering some kind of plants, you know, you might want to sprinkle something just around those plants. Okay, that'll work then. Well, uh, thank you, Felder. You have a wonderful summer. Thanks, Stephanie. Appreciate that. Okay, she was calling from Lafayette County, Mississippi. We're going to be taking a quick break and go down all the way down to the Gulf Coast, back up to central Mississippi. we got plenty of stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing. We're talking about gardening. If you've got an issue, uh, you've got a concern, you've got a problem, you've got something to brag about, give us a call. This is a garden party. We don't sell anything. We don't have any advertisers. We don't, we're not beholden to anybody. It's just us. If you want to have a manicured lawn or a meadow lawn or a big garden with a tiller or just a few little herbs in a pot, doesn't matter to me at all. It's just about gardening. And we're going to be talking about that when we come back right after this. Again, uh, Horticulture's Fellow Rushing, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, the garden party we call the Gestalt Garden. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okay. 
Okie dokie, welcome back. Horticulture Stella Rushing. I did a real quick word search for uh, for roly-polies, and I came up, and I, for, and I forgot they're also called wood lice, a wood louse. <laughs> and I was right. It was a, it's a terrestrial isopod crustacean. And uh, anyway, wood louse. Let's just call them roly-polies. That's so much nicer. Uh, common name, description, life cycle. Here we go. Um, it grows progressive. It sheds it's just like a turtle. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But it does. It molts more like a more like a cricket or a grasshopper, I guess. Um, anyway, it's, it, they they keep uh, their eggs. The female keep the eggs on uh, in their little their little machine a little body thing and they hatch out into little the ba- they keep the she keeps the eggs up under you know you know what a roly poly is don't you i know what a roly poly is because those were the like the only bugs we would well i would get all the bugs but the, my little cousins girl cousins would get them because they would roll up yeah yeah, and then, yeah you know it's like a little like you got ball little balls in your hand or yeah. whatever <laughs> well well apparently the females keep the eggs under their body until they hatch and it looks like they give birth but uh, anyway, this uh, their 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 relations to um, lobsters and crabs. But here's now this is it says they're said to have an unpleasant taste similar to now this is Wikipedia strong urine. So no boiling butter. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, you know I'm I'm just sharing what Wikipedia had to say. Uh, let me back out of this by sliding down to the Gulf Coast in Gulfport, Mississippi. Good morning, Cecile. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I doing? appreciate appreciate you hanging on. What's up? Well, uh, we just moved into a new house, and we built it over a year. So um, I've got things in pots, and I want to know, can I plant them now or can I wait? Oh, a plant that's, any plant that's in a pot, you can set out any time you can dig a decent hole. If you can't dig a decent hole because it's too hot or just don't feel like you've got other stuff, wait till you can get the hole dug. And, you know, because you just get one shot at that. But, okay, because I've got, like, um, a magnolia that um, I started in a pot, and I've uh-huh. got crepe myrtles I started from seed, Easter lilies, day lilies, forsythia. Yeah, they will. They will all actually do better in the ground than in the pots. But again, you know, spend a little extra time, of uh, you know, working up the dirt, adding just a little bit of stuff. A lot of people make the mistake of over amending the soil. So if you'll make the nice wide hole, you know, at least twice, maybe three times bigger than the than the plants pot that it's in now, right. and uh, and and also if they're growing in po- a lot of potting soil. It's stress of summer can be rough on doing this, but it's really important to gently loosen up some of the potting soil, some of the roots, so they start growing out instead of staying in that little ball of potting soil. But if you'll plant them, mulch them, give them a good deep soaking every week or two, they'll do fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I started them in um, half potting soil and half uh, compost. Well, but see, when you put that in the ground, though, that's like a plug of 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 organic matter and the transition from that to the dirt around it can can is different different roots grow differently in different kind of soils they're they're different shapes and everything but also that little plug will stay wetter and drier than the soil around it see so it's yeah. good to sort of loosen that up get the roots started out into your dirt that's really okay. important even when i plant tomatoes out you know i tear their roots up a little bit every every plant i put in the ground i booger up their roots yeah, I do too. <laughs> so, but it's just be gentle because it's July. Mama used to say, "Give those toes wiggle room." There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, all these years I could have been saying that instead of boogering up their roots. 
<laughs> anyway, the uh, main thing is don't overwater them, uh, Cecile. These plants, you're going you know, to be tempted to water them a lot, but water them really good. And then let them get almost to the wilting point before you do it again. Okay, great. All right, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now let's talk to Jim. Jim's in Madison County. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Felder. Um, Monday I had to have taken down a, an old dying willow tree in my yard that was shedding uh, limbs as big as six inches in diameter in danger of falling on my garage. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've got some azaleas and some camellias that were in the shade of that tree yeah. that are now burning up and um, in the sun. And I was just wondering how long I should wait uh, before I cut the the, uh, the burning yeah. Off. Yeah. Well, the, here, here's the deal. A little little backstory. When leaves are formed, whatever condition they, you know, when they fully form and sort of toughen up, whatever conditions are there, that's what they're used to. And if you change it, too much shade or too much light, uh, th- they're going to drop off. But in your case, it just got sunburned. If you were to prune the plants lightly now, it's not too late. But if you prune them back a little bit. This stimulates new growth. I mean, it it kicks in a hormone that makes plants actually start growing where otherwise they're just sitting there. That new growth would be adapted to the new conditions. So they they won't even know. When a new leaf forms, it doesn't know what its predecessor looked like. Okay, that sounds like that sounds easy enough. Yeah, and uh, let's go ahead and get on. I wouldn't prune the azalea. Well, I wouldn't prune any of them really, really hard right now or you're going to lose some of next year's flowers. But, uh, you know, it's no, no problem cutting them back. Okay, thanks. All right, good luck. Hey, and wear a hat, man. It's hot out there. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, let's slide back down to the coast, Ocean Springs. Hey, Allison, been out to the shed lately? Yeah. Uh, what's, what's up? You calling about, yeah, I can. You calling about roly-polies? Yeah, um, I happen to be a marine biologist, so I was laughing at that conversation. But you were right. They are crustaceans called isopods. Yep. And uh, but I just want to tell people if they're interested, there's a really cool big deep sea version that's like a foot long giant roly poly that lives at the bottom of the ocean. Oh boy! Google it. You can see these absolutely terrifying giant roly polies in the ocean. I sort of like that. It's, it's sort of like if you could get one in the yard, it'd be like having those little uh, little tortoise turtles following you around with the little feeler things. Absolutely. <laughs> so they look a little scary when they're blown up to a foot long versus the ones we see in our garden. Yeah. So, so this lady in Oxford, yeah, she she can she doesn't need to worry because at least hers are the size of a of of a big BB instead of a foot long. Exactly. Our ones on land are much nicer than the ones in the ocean. So. Have you when y'all pull those up? Uh, you know, for for study, has anybody ever eaten one like you can a lobster? I don't know anyone that's ever eaten one, but I wouldn't put it past someone to try it. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's some crazy folks out on those boats. I know some marine biologists. Bless your heart. (laughs) Well, listen, Allison. You can try anything once. (laughs) Yeah, once. Appreciate it, Allison. Thank you so much for calling. (laughs) Bye now. Bye. (laughs) Footlong roly-polies. Pascagoula. Hey, Scott, what's going on? Hey, Felder. Good morning. Howdy. Good. I got a question for you about fertilization for staghorn fern. Yeah. I had a good buddy tell me to use an old um, overripe banana. Huh. That's weird. Well, I did it about two weeks ago, and it has uh, doubled its size. 
Well, you know, it might be because of the extra attention you're giving it to. Bananas have got, you know, any kind of fruit's going to have nutrients on it. But here's the deal. The the ferns only really have exactly like roots. Uh, and on one hand, you know, a lot of people think about using uh, liquid fertilizers like miracle Grow, and that's really not the, the type of fertilizer that, that epiphytes, the Spanish moss, staghorn ferns, things like that use. Uh, and they do like natural stuff because it's the bacteria and the fungi that's natural on the plant that breaks it down. If you're going to do that, I'd make a little slurry of it and, and pour it as water over them. That, that would cut it to the chase. An even better idea. Yeah, and uh, and plus it won't look quite as funny having bananas sticking out of your staghorn fern. <laughs> but uh, the idea is to break it down to so that uh, it can be broken down by the bacteria and fungi that naturally grow on the on the roots of staghorn ferns, and they convert that stuff into fertilizer. But uh, you you know you can also use cottonseed meal or blood any kind of natural source of fertilizer will work. But uh, bananas, I like that. I like that idea. You know, you, plus you get a little spider living there eating the fruit flies. Well, I was worried about that, but it hadn't been any problem. No, it's not a problem anyway. It just takes your glasses off. Fruit flies aren't a problem. You know, unless unless you're making homemade bread and you get them in your, your starter yeast and you're a vegan or something like that. But other than that, it's not that big a deal. Anyway, have fun with it, man. Right on. Thank you. Okay, before we get to this musical tune, let's go to Canton and see what Cheryl's up to. Hey, Cheryl, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Felder? I'm doing fine. I'm, you know, I'm starting to cool off, and I'm getting more cheerful. <laughs> that does help, doesn't it? Listen, this spring, I bought some um, probably 14, 15, 16 beautiful fat seed plants. Uh-huh. I planted them on the entrance to the front of my house. They get a bright early morning sun, and then after about 10 o'clock, they get um, filtered sun through real tall bananas and pine trees. So yeah. they're in, I think, the tight lighting conditions they need. Well, all of a sudden, the um, leaves started kind of wimpling up a little bit, puckery looking. Yeah. And I sprayed them with a fungicide, mildew side, and a herbicide mixed, you know, with water per the direction. That didn't seem to do anything. Yeah. And um, I looked and made sure I didn't plant them too deep to cover the crown. But they're dying. Yeah. Not all of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you know, I would, and and I'm I am not. A, it, it irritates a lot of my my organic friends, even though I've written for Organic Gardening Magazine and they publish right. my books and all like that, and a past pre- vice president of organic group. I don't have a problem with with fungicides and insecticides and things if they're used properly, but there's no need to spray unless you know specifically what you're spraying for. And even then, fungicides don't cure a problem. They're preventative, sort of like putting a raincoat on before you get wet. Right. Okay. Uh, but but all, all that said, these are new plants, and, and, and fancias like dense shade. You know, they don't like any sun at all. They'll take some once they're mature, but they do best in dense shade. And because these are new and we've had so much rain, I'm suspecting they've got root problems from staying too wet. I mean, I mean, you know, that's that, because they're they're notorious about this. If you know, if they get root problems, those big leaves just start curling, and sometimes wilting, and sometimes just turning black like they've been hit with a blowtorch. Right. Yeah, they do have little brown edges on them. The older that, that's that's a root problem, and I would suspect either way way too dry, or way way too wet, one or the other. Yeah, it'd be too wet more than too dry. Yeah. Uh, you know, fancy is they're notorious. They, you know, they if if they stay wet, their roots rot. 
plain and simple. And uh, even if you have them in some pretty good dirt in Canton, we've had so much rain this year, and you probably uh, watered them a time or two. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Right, here, 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 for one more question. Well, well, first of all, let me let me throw this out. You can save those plants by cutting them back. If you'll cut them back, it makes them look bad for a little while, but they'll but it takes the immediate stress off the roots, and it stimulates fast new growth that'll be better balanced with the roots. So if you'll cut them back, at least cut some of them back and then try not to keep them wet. I'd rather do that than lose the money that I paid for. Okay, well, good luck on that. And just remember, too wet is worse than too dry. Okay. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. Um, I have leaf rollers. You have what? Leaf rollers. Yeah, yeah. Lilies. Uh-huh. And I understand it's a moth and they put a worm in there or whatever, but is there any anything I can do short of cutting them down because I've already cut a bunch down. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mentioned that in today's uh, Clear and Ledger column. Uh, this is real, real common. Uh, and it's a moth that lays an egg, and there's no way you can prevent that. And unfortunately, because canna leaves are so slick that uh, any kind of insecticide you use simply beads up or rolls off. Uh, and you can't always get the, you know, you have to keep doing it all the time. Um so to, to answer your question, once the plants have gotten infested with them, there's nothing you can do that's going to kill them, be, and the plants are boogered up anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, so what I do, and this is something I've been doing it all of my life, my great-grandmother's cannas, my grandmother's cannas, my mother's cannas, my cannas, is when they get there, I just simply cut that plant down and throw it back behind the cannas because the fire ants will take care of the caterpillar. It ain't going to crawl back up. Yeah. You just cut it down. But you need to put you a bird bath or a gazing ball or a bench or something out there to look at till your cannas come back. Okay. Sounds you, Cheryl, you're going to hear all sorts of people say, we well, use diatomaceous earth or use seven or blah, 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 blah. Just cut them back. Okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. Appreciate it. Job, I have kind of a bottom line approach to this kind of stuff. What would I do? That's what you always say. You just take it right back to uh, most of the time how you were taught and your mom and, you know. <laughs> well, and, and plus, you know, I've got university, you know, a degree in horticulture, study entomology and weed science and all that stuff. And I know what you can do, but most of the time it either doesn't work or it doesn't work well or it ain't worth it or it doesn't work for everybody. So, you know, if there's a spray, I'll recommend it. If not, just cut it back. Put you up. You know what a gazing ball is? I seen them. I don't. Don't you have one? Yeah, I do. There's those silver balls I got just scattered mm-hmm. here and there. I don't use night lighting in my whole garden. I have a little reflective stuff. Anyway, put that out there. Give you something smiley to look at. And um, or, or a bottle tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, let's 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 do it. Let's do a tune. This is um. Uh, one of our all-time favorite Americans, and just want to mention, I'm not sure that it was done by the fellow uh, who 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 just uh, left uh, the the Muppet franchise, but Steve Whitmire, longtime voice of Kermit the Frog, stepping down from his roles after 27 years. I thought we'd play this real poignant little song from Jim Henson. Greetings, Kermit the Frog here, and today I'd like to tell you a little bit about the color green. Uh, do you know what's green? Well, I am, for one thing. You see, frogs are green, and I'm a frog, and that means I'm green, you see? It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it could be nicer 
being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. But green's the color of spring. can be cool and friendly like and green can be big like an ocean or important like a mountain or tall like a tree when green is all there is to be It could make you wonder why, but why wonder why wonder I am green and it'll do fine. It's beautiful and I think it's what I want to be. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You know, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. It ain't easy looking like me. It's a good thing I'm on the radio all the time. I got some, some interesting emails this past week, and a couple of them I could use some help with by way of email. Uh, so Jim Galloway wants to know if I know of any daylily farms. Last week, somebody was looking for daylily farms. You know of any in central Mississippi? Daylily farm. You know, people grow more daylilies. What am I saying? If you grow daylilies, you got more than you know what to do with. But I don't know of any daylily farms. I used to work with a lot of them, but, you know, I just, you know, sort of lost touch when I retired from the extension service. So, uh, anyway, if you know of any daylily farms where people go out and look at pretty daylilies and and, uh, and and they'll dig them for them, let me know. Shoot me an email, please. My email is real easy. It's garden at mpbonline.org. But here's one I really want to share. Uh, Beth from down in Fairhope. She says, I felt her last summer. I wrote you anguished over the fact that I had lush pumpkin vines and blooms but no pumpkins. Well, this year I ignored the gorgeous vine, which came from seeds dumped out of my grandson's sand bucket, which he's supposed to plant at his home. Surprise, surprise, I have a pumpkin with his home and a shrub, and I'm happy. She sent me a picture with a bush that's got a pumpkin hanging in the bush. And uh, it's kind of interesting because I, I put ornamental pumpkins and gourds in, in my little truck garden uh, every fall. I like to accessorize like like every good gardener should. And um, when I dumped some stuff out, apparently some of the I must have put one on the curb or something. Anyway, long story short, I had a pumpkin that grew on the curb across the street from my house, and it had a pumpkin on it. And I harvested it when it's kind of it's still kind of greenish. It's turned completely orange. I've already taken a Sharpie pen and put a nice little pumpkin smiley face on it. So anyway, if you try too hard. 
garden is going to mess you up. Uh, and then uh, last email on share, uh, Lynn Caruso down in, in uh, Biloxi. He said, I've got a gardenia bush. I heard you say a couple of weeks ago that, that the flowers turn yellow quickly. It's caused by an insect. I've tapped the flower on my hand. I don't see any bugs. Um, anyway, this, these are called thrips, thrip, T-H-R-I-P-S. And if you'll take a gardenia or a rose or a magnolia, look in a magnolia flower, tap it on a piece of paper, you're going to see these tiny, tiny little cigar-shaped insects. Uh, two or three can fit on a typewritten letter I. They're really, really small, dark color brown to kind of dark brown, and they crawl, they hop, little bitty things. And what they do is they slither down into unopened flower buds and they gnaw on it. They chew on it. They have rasping mouth parts and uh, it causes the flowers to discolor. Not much you can do about it. You can use systemic insecticides that are absorbed into the plant. Anything that bites it dies. But, you know, that's pretty, pretty, it's a pretty rough approach towards gardening. Uh, it'll work, but you got to do it all the time. Um, the problem with sprays is sprays don't get down into the bud where the thrips are. So it's really, really hard to control thrips. I say just take your glasses off and enjoy what you got. Let's go to uh, Mobile, Alabama. Hey, Mikey, good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, this being, you know, we're very termite-prone here. Yep. Um, throughout the southeast, I'm sure. Um, uh, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to do... Please help me with the termite question. Is it in a house? Yes, sir. Okay. It, I, well, it's not in the house. It's, I'm, I'm, try, I'm talking about deterring them from getting in the okay. house. Okay. Well, you, you're going to need to, if you don't use a professional, understand that the stuff oh, that... I the, do. I do. Well, then so just, my, just, get the, just get them to fulfill the contract. Well, my question is regarding the gardening around the perimeter uh, of it's the not, house. It's not a problem. The stuff that they use now isn't the stuff that we used back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. That stuff is gone. The stuff that lasts a long time, the you know, the chlordane and all that, it's long gone. And besides that, they're not absorbed by plants, so it doesn't translocate into it. So I wouldn't worry about that. The main thing is you have to treat the perimeter and understand that the stuff that they use now doesn't last long like we did, you know, decades ago. You know, the poisons that we use, chlordane, for example, wasn't that poisonous. But it lasts forever. It has a 25 or 30-year half-life, which means every 25 or 30 years, it loses half its strength. So, but anyway, it's taken off the market because of it, it lasts so long in the environment. Stuff they use now is not a big deal. And putting it right around the house, it's not, it's not absorbed by plants. May I please ask, is it safe to use pine straw? And how close can you use it to a concrete slab? Pine straw is not a problem. You're going to have more problems with crickets and roaches. But it's not a problem uh, with, with the termites. I, wouldn't worry. I don't worry about bark and stuff. I've got bark mulch all around my house. And as long as you in, uh, visually inspect every now and then, and uh, if you need to, be, to, to treat, treat the foundation, I wouldn't worry about it at all. But the pine straw and the mulch and stuff, I really wouldn't worry about it. Anyway, appreciate your call. Let's move on now to push this right button to Mike in Ashland, Mississippi. Hey, Mike, what's up? Uh, just wondered your comments on all the controversy with Roundup these days, uh, being carcinogenic and all. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on that well, I've, I've I've got thoughts, but keep in mind my thoughts are based on on real hardcore research. I have gone through countless 
studies on Roundup, countless. People send me long lists of links, and I read the, the, uh, the, 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 the methods, the, the thesis, the conclusions, the methodology. I've read all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the, the, the controversy is over um, the misuse of Roundup. Now, and, and keep in mind, I'm not, I don't work for Monsanto. I'm not a big agribusiness. Person. I'm just a gardener. But I use Roundup because it was just put on the, the list of possible carcinogens. Okay. If you'll look that up, if you'll just, if people calm down, just look it up, that means it was finally put on the same list as hot water, red meat, and aspirin. Okay. Uh, I, I'm real serious about this. And it's based on studies, based on the, the studies were on the extreme overuse in, in isolated populations. But as far as the normal judicial use of Roundup in the garden, there are no studies that show there's any problems whatsoever. The overuse, the abuse, the misuse, the continued use, not, you know, those are problems. But it's not about Roundup. It's about human behavior. So anyway, you know, you shouldn't eat too much red meat, shouldn't drink too much alcohol. You shouldn't pour Roundup on your arms when you're using it. Okay, man. I sure appreciate it. Good luck on it. And by the way, I get hate mail whenever I say this kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not Satan. I'm not looking for an issue. I'm just saying from as a scientist's point of view, you know, if you're gonna cherry pick information, I don't have time for it. Well, I just as uh, the guy that was telling me this was smoking a cigarette while uh, he was th- me. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Cigarettes are not you know, they're on a much more strict list than Roundup, you know. So, in other words, if you're gonna if you're gonna use Roundup, if you're gonna smoke cigarettes, you know, don't dip them in Roundup first. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your Thanks, call, man. man. There's some people who just turn this program off, and I get get that way. But I've got to be honest, in, intellectually honest. I wish I could find a study that says that there's a real problem. I wish I could, but I've gone through. Let's go to. Matthew and Butler, Georgia, help me out here, man. What's up? How you doing, sir? Uh, I've been kicking around restarting my parents' nursery. They closed it down a few years back. Uh-huh. I was just want to know if you had any suggestions on what I could start with with big foot sellers. And, uh, okay, for, first, of all, first of all, you're talking about a nursery or a garden center. Nursery is more, I'm thinking, plant production versus garden center, yeah. which is retail sales. It would be. It would have an outside. It would be a. It would have an outside outlet, but it would primarily be production. Yeah, retail, wholesale type thing. I've got a lot. I don't only have thoughts on that. I worked in nurseries, production nurseries, and garden centers before I ever went to college to study horticulture. I worked at a garden center down in in uh, San Diego, California. Worked in one in Corpus Christi back in the mid seventies, and uh, for a long time I was part of a family nursery. Got a degree in that from from a university, and many of my close friends are both production nursery. Or garden center folks. So I got a lot of thoughts on that. Bottom line is you need to know who is going to buy what you grow because what you don't sell, you got to smell. So, you know, we you can you can produce plants, the most beautiful plants that are fantastic. But, it, you know, if you're a gardener, that's great. But if you're in the business, what you don't sell, you got to smell because it ain't going anywhere. So you need to know about marketing as well as Production, you know, who is going to buy uh, what you want to grow 
or can you grow what they want to buy and supply it to them? So it's that kind of thing. It's not that complicated. It's like a lemonade stand. You want to sell lemonade? Don't put it on a back alley, you know. And if you're out on the main street, make sure there's parking and, uh, you know, use good water, you know. So, uh, you know, if you want to shoot me an email, uh, I can also put you in touch with folks at uh, in uh, uh, University of Georgia, uh, okay. Who are who who specialize in this? There are people who work specially in helping people get into production horticulture, garden centers, nurseries at University of Georgia. So uh, anyway, shoot me an email about that. I've and uh, and and, and uh, I I really like small scale. I would have one of these myself if I didn't ha- like to travel so much and wouldn't want to have somebody st- sit there in the water while I was gone. Let's take a real quick break. Our email is garden at mpbonline.org, garden at mpbonline.org. And um, I'm horticulturist fellow rushing. We're talking about gardening. Sometimes I get into things that are controversial to some folks. I'm not going to get controversial. What are the facts? What can you show me? What do I know based on research, experience, and observation, and also practical stuff? Anyway, we're going to take a real quick break. We got uh, a gal from Purvis, Mississippi. Got the lines open if you want to give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Anyway, we'll be right back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting on this nice, muggy July day right after this. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back, folks. Horticulture's fellow rushing. By the way, I got an email uh, from Jane Heidelberg. She said, if you plant a nut from a Stuart pecan tree, would you get a Stuart? If I plant a Schley nut, would I end up with a Schley? Um, and the answer is probably not. You know, when you, when you get a beautiful ripe peach or a pecan or something like that, chances are it's cross-pollinated, just like with squash. And if you save the seeds... It'll be a combination of whatever kind of genes it got from nearby stuff. So it takes a long time to grow a pecan tree from seed or a peach tree from seed to maturity, and chances are slim that you're going to get what you ended up eating. And by then, you'd have forgotten what it was anyway. So just buy the stuff you like. And if you want to plant some fruit trees or nut trees, buy those that are grafted and named varieties. Let's go down to Purvis, Mississippi. Hey, Susan, how are you today? Hey, good. How are you? I'm fine. What's up? Well, I got a little Facebook um, funny thing, and I thought you might appreciate it. It said, uh, potatoes give us French fries and vodka. Yeah. The other vegetables need to get their stuff together. (laughs) Well, you know, you can make some interesting stuff from corn, you know. (laughs) But anyway, that's great. That's great. So, well, appreciate it. Thank you. That was short and sweet. Potatoes give us French fries and vodka. Let's go to Tupelo. Hey, Deb, good morning. Morning. Howdy. What's up? Uh, we did some major landscaping or had it done around in our little backyard around the pool, and we've got a bamboo problem yeah. outside of our property. Yep. And I'm just wondering if there's anything 
apart from Roundup and just trying to fend it off. Um, yeah. Okay, in in a, in a nutshell, you need to go between you and where the bamboo is coming from and dig a little ditch. It doesn't have to be di- deep, but round, but uh, you, you have to stop her from coming back. So that means physically separating your yard from where it's coming from. A little small ditch, whether you put anything in it or not, it's not that big a deal. But it has a hard time going down and back up. And then on your side, as it comes up, you can mow it till it peters out. You can pull it up because it's got real shallow rhizomes. Not the roots it comes back from. It's those, it's those uh, underground stems called rhizomes. You can pull it. You can mow it um, and, and eventually peter it out. No question about it. Um, you know, it doesn't take round. There's other herbicides that will get it too. Roundup, the grass be gone, anything like that will work. But pulling, cutting, mowing, but you first of all got to stop it from coming back. And that means a little ditch. Outside the yeah, on on uh, on their side. Okay. And uh, you know, and that that's that's pretty much it. Okay, thanks so much. Good luck on it. Thanks. Bye bye. Oh, got some got a time to squeeze one more call if anybody wants to squeeze in real quick. Otherwise, I'd like to remind folks that um, uh, I I did visit this place called Petals from the Past in Jemison, Alabama. Uh, so it's like a Texas Hill Country place. Got a nice little fence in there. Got different garden areas. You walk around. They've got fruit plants. They've got flowers, vegetables, herbs, shrubs, trees, vines, all sorts of stuff in a garden. And then what you see, you can buy. But I like that approach. But anyway, there's several places like that around the country. But I really enjoyed it. Um, also, there's going to be a, a, a an event for children. You know that are eight to twelve years old. Eight to twelve years old down at the uh, Gulf Coast Research and Extension Center on Pottsfield Road in Biloxi. This is going to be on Thursday, July the twentieth, from nine till noon, for forty dollars. Learn all about flowers. Take a walk around the the MSU Coastal Campus, which is beautiful, and learn how to make colorful floral designs. I think that'd be a whole lot of fun. If you want information about that, contact the Extension Service. Uh, this is at the Gulf Coast Extension Center. Thursday, July 20th, 9 till noon. And um, I think that'd be a whole lot of fun. Loved uh, what Jim Del Price does. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And he loves working with children on that, too. Anyway, Java. It's you don't, be, no, I was just going to say, you don't have any uh, secret master garden meetings <laughs> that you're going to? No, day. as a matter of fact, I'm just, I'm just pretty much laying low right now. You know, I'm I'm painting a fence. You know, I planted some, some gourds this past week. I'm, I'm, a, I'm potting up these chrysanthemums I bought. I'm going to make some cuttings off of them. But you know, there's not any kind of meetings that I know of going on right now. It's too hot. Oh, okay. Well, when the next time you gonna come over? Uh, I guess to to Minel Gardens. I ran over to you over there a little while ago. Well, you know they have a plant sale every spring. I try to swing by there and and, and support all that. You know, but I like going to plant sales. I got an email from somebody the other day looking for uh, native plants, and they have native plants. There's a uh, there's a, a nature center in Clinton that sells native plants, and there's a place in Mobile and Memphis, and and uh, up at Strawberry Plains, uh, the the Audubon Center up in in. Uh, uh, Holly Springs, but anyway, a lot of stuff going on. Shoot me an email if you know of some stuff that's going on. Uh, the Gestalt Gardener is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
Uh, my producer is laid back with a hard-working Java Chapman. Our phone greeter is uh, the, uh, our new producer up here at MPB, Michelle McAdoo. Appreciate that. I'm your host, Felder Rushing. I'm going to be thinking of all of y'all as I get out to wrap up a few eyes and ends this beautiful but muggy weekend. Hope your garden does great. Hope your plants' roots are cool and you're mosquito-free. Main thing, too precious to let it slide. Take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center and show them how to do what we do best, and that's how to get dirty. 